Hello and welcome to Commodity Conversations. My name's Dave and this week we have Rob Bell from ProAgni on to chat about weaning with Rob Herman. Rob shares some of his key insights into making this transition period more enjoyable for animals and producers. Rob uses scientific knowledge to explain what's happening to the calves and lambs in the weaning period and how, if managed appropriately, we can give them the best chance to thrive. Before we get into the episode, a quick wrap around the markets. The wheat market has rallied on the back of deteriorating corn production outlook in the US. Cattle markets generally perform quite well overall on the back of increases in yardings this week, suggesting producer confidence in the season ahead is still quite strong. There were some big falls across sheep and lamb markets this week, with some commentators noting the general poor condition of stock on offer. And lastly, there were much fewer wool bales sold this week compared to the first few weeks of the season due to Fremantle not selling. Results were mixed across Melbourne and Sydney, with finer microns falling in Melbourne, but lifts in Sydney eventually balanced out the eastern market indicator to finish the same as last week. That's all from me. I'll leave you with Rob and Rob. Enjoy the episode. It's great to have uh, Rob on the program. And it's very timely because we're sort of coming into this key um, period where certainly down south we're um, we're weaning or, or sorry lambing and calving, um, and then we'll be looking forward to weaning. So today we want to talk about some of the things that um, farmers might be thinking about when they're uh, setting their sheep and cattle up for um, for their whole life, and it all it all hinges or a lot of it hinges around this. So, Rob, I note that in some of your um, uh, documentation, you, you talk about weaning lambs and calves shouldn't be considered as a process. Uh, it should be considered as a process, not just an event that occurs at a single point in time. So welcome to Commodity Conversations, Rob. And what's your extension on that point? Thanks, Rob, for the opportunity. Um, I guess I just wanted to sow a seed around that the process of creating milk in any business is, is most probably the most expensive period from an energy perspective in your business. So every time we produce a litre of milk, it, it takes vast amount of energy to go into that, that female uh, to produce milk. And, and milk is a fantastic supplement for a young animal, high in protein, high in energy, contains antibodies that fight disease and, and really helps set up those animals to, to thrive, I guess, from, from day dot when, it, when it's done well. But there gets a point in time that we need to think about the process from a physiological point of view is these animals aren't actually born as a functioning ruminant. So we actually are dealing with more like a, a pig or a, a monogastric as, a, as an infant. So these animals are, are born to digest milk, which is an acid and enzyme process. And then over time, they start to pick and pick up feces and, and we start to get bacterial fermentation taking place in the rumen. So once we start to get rumination taking place and fermentation taking place, the process of digesting milk becomes uh, less important in one sense and, and microbial processes become more important. And the real concept that we need to hammer home is that yes, milk is hugely important for successful business, but it needs to stop and it needs to stop as early as viable to drive production and profitability because of the cost of producing milk. So when I talk about weaning, it's really a case of understanding that we are dealing with an animal that has been comforted and cared for and nutritionally supplied by mum. And then we get in there in our boots and our big hat with a dog and a stick and put a whole heap of pressure on those poor little guys and expect them to thrive from that point. 
And I guess the, the challenge we need to, to overcome is let's look at this from a production perspective and go, we're actually transitioning animals from a milk digesting animal to a animal that relies on fermentation for around 80% of its gross energy and protein requirements. That doesn't happen overnight. That does take a little bit of um, time to develop and, and establish. And as managers, um, we have the responsibility to make sure that is as smooth as possible from a welfare perspective. And if we get the welfare right, profitability just falls out the back end. So just before, just before we go down that path, Rob, the, I just want to go back half a step. So we know that, you know, how important those first um, bit of milk, which I think is colostrum, is that right? Yep. Um, that's really important um, for the animals. But then there must, while they're on their mums, on the cows or on the ewes, there must be a transition period. Is there things we should be considering in that transition period or does that just sort of take care of itself? Look, I'm talking about the transition between milk only and then there would be a combination. We see the calves and the lambs nibbling away at the grass and, and whatever their mums are doing. So there, is, there must be a transition happening there. There, there is a transition taking place. And if you look at the lactation curve, so sheep normally peak at sort of five to six weeks of maximum milk production and then decline, and then cattle around three to four months and decline from there. And that's where that transition's taking place. From a, a physiological point of view, the, the animal's designed to actually bypass the rumen in that first stage. So as an animal suckles, it tips its head up. There's a groove at the back of the throat which actually closes and allows the milk to bypass the rumen, so the fermentation system, and get digested further down in an acid and enzyme environment. But as that animal grows, the ability for that um, the esophageal groove to close off and stop milk into the rumen actually decreases. So we start to get a process of milk falling into the rumen, which is at that point in time tends to be six weeks in lambs and you know three to four months in calves where we actually need to go, right, this is the time to stop and transition those animals properly to a, a hard diet of, of grass and grain and fibre and drive fermentation systems rather than being in no man's land where they're trying to become a ruminant, but every time they get a drink, they take a step backwards because of milk falling into the fermentation system, which is what it wasn't designed to do. So in, in the farming enterprise, we've got, uh, we've got this really good parent, if you like, uh, whether it's the ewe or the cow, and, and they pretty much, you know, if we're, if we're looking after the ewe and the cow, I'm guessing, Rob, we're looking after the calf and the lamb. But then there comes this time where, as you've just outlined, we want to take them away from that environment, and then it's our responsibility to make sure we look after them. So there must be things we have to do that will uh, give us a better chance of doing that properly. Absolutely. And, and gross nutrition at that point of transition and providing high quality nutrients in terms of um, fermentable carbohydrates and high quality protein. And that revolves around not just the protein source, but the types of protein. So the amino acid profiling can really play a role in whether weaning is a successful process where weight gain continues through weaning or it turns into a bit of a disaster where we have animals losing you know, one, two, three, four kilos over a couple of weeks in sheep or, you know, potentially a kilo a day for three weeks in cattle. And the impact on that is seen much later in life in, in my perspective is that the shift, particularly in the sheep model to get animals into reproductive phase earlier um, in ewe lambs, if, if we've had a weaning process where they've dropped three or four kilos at weaning, how does that impact joining weights when you're starting to get 45, 46 kilo animals for, for reproduction? It, it could wipe 20 or 30% off the potential uh, conception rates of those animals, you know, eight months down the track. So I, I think it needs to be considered that 
This is an opportunity to drive production. They are highly efficient animals at the point of weaning. They digest feed really, really well if you allow them um, the right feedstuffs. So let's turn this into a real production gain um, through the weaning process. Let's mitigate stress. Let's get nutrition under control and, and give them an opportunity to thrive from that point onwards. So I'm talking today on Commodity Conversations to Robert Bell, who's uh, co-founder and chief technical officer of uh, ProAgni, which is um, a, a product we've talked about before, Rob, on this program. And I just want to go back. The point you made there was interesting in that you were saying if we, do, if we don't get it right, the animals go backwards for a period of time. But I'm pretty sure they don't then immediately start improving either. They go through sort of a hiatus period where not much is happening and then they slowly build up. So you can elapse a fair bit of time in the life of, in that critical period of, of, of the young animal um, where they're just not improving and going backwards. And that goes to your point about where do they end up for joining weights, et cetera. Yeah, look, the, the rough rule of thumb in, in my world is that for every one day of loss, it, it's a three, multiplier of three. So if we go backwards for two weeks, we're, we've got six weeks of production lost. And, and that's yeah. a huge cost in terms of time, but also feed eaten that just doesn't convert to anything that's returning a, a cash return. So talking about, that's the negative parts of it, Rob. What are the positive things that, that farmers are doing uh, or best practice that they're doing to uh, enhance this this critical time for the um, for their livestock. I think the the keys to a really successful weaning program are early education of um, the animals while they're still on mum. So they recognise you as a friendly, not a foe. Um, we're dealing with a whole heap of stress at this point in time. So making sure those animals are. Uh, comfortable when you walk in the paddock, make sure they understand what a dog is, that, yeah, a dog's there to move them, but they're not going to get their heads ripped off. And then actually start to educate those animals to eat what they're going to see through that weaning process. So a process of imprinting, so small amounts of food while they're on mum, just to educate these animals that the life is about to change and we want to support you through that, uh, but making sure that we're then starting to supply something that's familiar so that when we do get to the drafting gate, and those animals are split, they actually go, ah, I recognise this before, I've felt it in my mouth, I've tasted it, it's pretty good. Um, and that takes a lot of stress out because those animals are, are bellowing and walking fence lines because they're looking for mum because they're hungry and thirsty. Uh, and it's our responsibility to teach them effectively to eat. So just on that imprinting, um, so I imagine um, we've got to be careful with grain to some degree. Most farmers would imprint, especially sheep, they'd imprint it with a bit of grain. You've got to be careful because, um, you know, the, the rumen's not ready for it. So what are some of the things that, that we should be considering when we're doing that? And and I guess more specifically, and, I, and I've got personal experience in this case, Rob, where um, we had a problem with sheep overgorging um, out of a feeder and, uh, and, and we know what happens there. It's not a good sight. Yeah, look, I'm not a fan of self-feeders um, early in life because of that actual uh once they do get a taste it's uh it's hell for leather and it, it can be a complete disaster so the two things i really advocate for is small amounts and really high levels of frequency so um some of the best guys i've seen do it will feed two and three times a day for a fortnight prior to weaning right so it's repetition of the whole pavlov bell principle you know he turns up he toots the horn he gets out he gives us a bucket it, it just reinforces the behavioral traits so to mitigate um, 
things like gorging and overeating and, and self-feeders, it comes back to a lot of how much work we're prepared to put in as managers. So small amounts frequently um, do override a lot of that. And I understand the cost of that, but what's the cost of not doing it as well? Well, the cost of, of getting it wrong can be quite catastrophic, but I'm thinking, Rob, that the, the benefit from getting it right will see those uh, lambs and calves take off. Does the same sort of principle apply to hay or is that just something that you can sort of feed out to get them settled down with their mums? Um, hay's a pretty loose description in a lot of times. I mean, good quality hay versus rubbish, there's a mm. there's a big void between the two. Um, look, hay does a great job at, at keeping animals full and it can provide some really good energy and protein if it's high quality, particularly in that legume space, so things like vetch and, and lucent hay. Um, but when we start to talk about pasture hay, it just has two compounding effects. One is the density of the nutrients in there is low. And then secondly, because of the fiber content, um, intakes become restricted because of the amount of fiber in there. So yes, hay is a great tool to, to manage appetite and fill them up, but I really do like to see a hot, uh, an amount of concentrated feed through that weaning process, just to make sure that those animals' uh, demands are being met. Yeah. and. Um... I think uh, I've got a note here from your uh, your partner and co-founder, Locke Campbell at ProAgni, and um, and he's saying, uh, or he's making a note here to me, saying that uh, good weaning practices provide the foundation of an animal's genetic potential to be fully expressed. Just to elaborate a bit on that, Rob, is that just purely about their ability to breed or is there more to it? No, look, it's, it's more to it. So there's been a lot of work done, um, particularly in the dairy space in the US, looking at uh, rumen development and the exposure of different feed types and the response of that from a, a physiological development point of view. And they've shown that when animals are exposed to a highly fermentable starch source, so things like a, a wheat or a barley or a corn or a triticale, they actually produce a chemical uh, which will stimulate the development of the rumen wall much more than some other feedstuffs. And the development of that rumen wall gives surface area and blood supply. So the rumen wall's job is to absorb nutrients and lift and shift it. The pro, I guess the byproducts of fermentation. Um, so the bigger the surface area and the more blood we have going past, the more efficient it is lifting and shifting. So exposure of ruminants to high quality fermentable carbohydrates like wheat and barley and corn and triticale at weaning actually establishes um, really good rumen architecture in terms of surface area and blood supply. So it allows those animals then to start capitalising on what's in, in line in their genes. So if we have got nutrient demands met or exceeded, what potential do we have? So if we build a Ferrari and tip kerosene in the tank, we're going to have a pretty ordinary uh, race. But if we build a Ferrari and, you know, fuel it right, it, it can absolutely fly. That's, that's a good explanation, Robin. And, and, I mean, we're talking about quite detailed practices here on the farm and and of course a lot of farming is is uh, big scale and broad acre but you know getting these building blocks right in our um, in our animals is going to stand us in good stead right through their lives and um, and I guess also make the life of the farmer um, more enjoyable and easier going oh absolutely I mean stress at weaning I think 90 percent of it actually sits on the the producer's shoulders yeah. after the animals um and it, it's a case of if we're organised and we've got a process documented and the whole team knows what's going on, weaning turns into quite an enjoyable process where you you can see the fruits of your labour that have, um, you know, they've taken five or nine months to cook and then they've gone through a lactation period and, and to see healthy, healthy, happy weaners bouncing around 
um, ready for the next phase. I, I think there's nothing better from a, uh, you know, warm your heart perspective that um, that you've done a good job. Are there other um, things we should be thinking about at this stage? Are the supplements or, um, you know, health uh, treatments or, or, or those sort of things? Or do we get that room and right and the animals look after themselves? I think there's two parts to it. One is we need to make sure that um, we manage stress and disease. So uh, I'm a big fan of injectable vitamins at the point of weaning. So things like B12 and vitamin A, D and E. Uh, yep. And it's around suppression of stress, appetite and immunity. And uh, then the second point that gets missed so often is um, really up-to-date clostridial vaccines. So whether that's a five-in-one in cattle or particularly six-in-one for cheesy gland in sheep, um, they're no-brainers. They, they need to be done frequently and often, especially in high-challenge situations. Um, and then we start to talk about gross nutrition. So a lamb is born with a protein requirement of around 20, 22% crude protein. And, and that decreases by the time we get to weaning to about 16%. So if we can't match that with pasture, we need to supplement uh, for a period to get that rumen really firing. Um, and the thing that we need to think about is these animals aren't actually an animal we're feeding. We're actually feeding a microbial population in their gut. Um, that microbial population is responsible for around 80% of all energy and all protein that that animal uh, consumes. So getting fermentation right and stable um, is an absolute paramount point to maintaining animal health and, and vigour. So get your animal health, get your nutrition right, uh, and those two come together to, to produce a pretty handy article at the end. Well, it's great to be talking to you today, Rob, and I thank you very much for your time. We, um, we, we really enjoy watching what ProAgni is doing, and, um, and I'd encourage people to have a look on your website, proagni.com.au. Um, these sort of um, discussions uh, are more happening more frequently in agriculture and in livestock, and I think it's a great thing, and the work you guys are doing is to be commended. So, Rob, thanks very much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Rob. Um, appreciate the time. And if anyone's interested, you can jump on the website and grab um, some of those weaning protocols off there for both sheep and cattle just to um, give you some guidelines on and how to be successful at the process of weaning. That's right. Proagni.com.au. So uh, thank you and, um, and all the best, Rob. Thanks, Rob. And that's all for this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode and see you next week for more Commodity Conversations.